Well, hey, uh, good morning, everybody. I'm Matt. I'm one of the deacons here. And today, that's actually a great tee up because we are talking about an area of God's goodness that personally, I, over my whole life, have not heard addressed a ton. And so when the Lord kind of brought this up in my mind, I was like, oh, this is fun. This is fun. And so it tees up directly with what Tad says. We're going to talk about eternal security today. So with that, I'm going to pray for us again. Father, uh, just come before you in Jesus' name. And Lord, I just thank you that that you, you, while we were still sinners, while we were in our muck and our, our mire and just all the all the crap that, that we all came from and went through, that you died for us. Um, and that you died to pay the penalty for, for the sins that we've done, the ways that we have gone against you, that we've gone against your ways, Lord. And you have truly, uh, those of us who have chosen to follow you, you have won us with your love um, into your kingdom and in, into a relationship with you. And just thank you for doing that. Thank you for pursuing us. Um, and just pray for today, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak through me and that God, uh, any of us who yeah, are, are struggling uh, or, or facing lies uh, on this kind of just very, uh, you know, basic and important topic of, of salvation and being assured of our salvation, that you'd break through and help us to be uh, tight in this so that we can really do what Tad's talking about and really move past these things into really counting for you and getting into these hard situations. And so I uh, just thank you for the assurance that you give in your word that you're with us and, and that our, our salvation is uh, secure in your hands. And I uh, just pray that we would uh, just grow in a deeper love for you as we talk about that today. So pray that in Jesus name. Amen. So one second. Got to readjust this a little bit. So I grew up um, most of my life. I came to Christ when I was like a little kid. Okay, this isn't be an issue. Let's see. <laughs> there we go. So I I, I kind of grew up my whole life. Uh, came to Christ when I was when I was younger, um, and most of the time from when I came to Christ to kind of honestly post high school, I questioned my salvation. I didn't have assurance of salvation, and there's multiple reasons for that. I mean, I was definitely in the whole sin. Uh, you know, uh, feel better after three days, feel like I'm saved again, sin again, that whole thing. Um, but at the same time, I'd never really done a study in the scriptures of what assurance do I have with my salvation? How do I know? Do I just not think about it? Oh, I just don't think about it. I'm probably saved. Or like, what scriptural evidence do I have? And that was one of the major issues. And so, um, as I've been talking to people, you know, some guys that I'm meeting with have this struggle. And I think more people than even you know have this struggle where they don't have this thing of salvation tightened up and they're confused whether they really are saved. They've come to Christ, but they're like, am I really saved? Am I not? And so there's kind of a few ways I've heard of this. Number one, just people who don't know they're saved. So they just struggle with the fact of, am I really saved? Am I not? The second one, I was talking to a guy this week who said, I know I'm saved currently, but I have trouble believing, like, I think I could probably devolve in my Christian faith over the next 20 years. And one day I could wake up in 20 years and not be saved. So I trust in my current salvation, but I'm not sure if I'll make it to the end. Then there's people who haven't looked into it completely. 
And I've talked to people like that who were like, I've never studied it. I've never gone into the scriptures and looked at it. And so it gives that space for Satan to throw uh, temptations and say, are you really saved? You know, who's faced those before where it's like, are you really saved? Or when people read books from some of the old guys are like, I don't even know if I'm saved anymore because it's so intense. And then there's people uh, like myself now where I am confident in my salvation. But this is one of those things along with identity, along with God's grace that I meditate on every day. And it just grows me in a deeper love for God and how he really has assured my salvation. And it makes me want to surrender more to him and dive deeper into his word. And so you could be in any of those four categories. And I think this talk will uh, encourage you or hopefully get you in, in the right spot with this. The verse I want to start off with is John 5. And this is just a really good summary in John 5, 24. If you guys have your Bibles, you can open up to that. It's just a good summary. Truly, truly emphasis. I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. And so what we see really simply put is those who believe in him who sent me does not come into judgment, but is passed out of eternal life. There's a, there's a funny story that I've, uh, you know, heard of over the years and have used. And it's about this guy who goes to heaven and he was a pastor, you know, he's a pastor counted for God his whole life. And he comes and this is fictional. This is not how it happens. He comes and Jesus is sitting there at a table, you know, a little table like this. And he's like, okay, well, uh, John, welcome, welcome to heaven. Uh, you know, it's 20 tokens to get in. And so if you could kind of start rattling off some of the things you did for me on earth, then we'll kind of go through that and see if you have enough tokens. And he's like, okay, I got this. I'm a pastor. I'm cool. He's like, okay, uh, I was a pastor. So that's got to be a token. Um, I've got five kids. They all came to Christ and love the Lord. So that's five more. So we're at six. I led these 10 people to Christ. We're at 16. Um, I gave to the poor. I did this. He starts rattling off all these things. And he gets to the end of it. And he kind of in his head is counted up. He's like, okay, I think I've got about 40 tokens just by me kind of rattling off stuff. And Jesus looks at him and go, no, it's not good enough. You have, you have zero tokens still. And he goes, oh, Lord, have mercy. And he goes, okay, you're in. And, uh, and it's always a fun when you're talking about salvation. That's a fun analogy because that's not how it works. <laughs> we don't go to heaven and say like, Lord, here's all the stuff in terms of the salvation side of it. We can, we'll show him all the awesome stuff we did. And he'll be like, oh man, this is amazing. But like for the salvation side, it's nothing that we have done that gets us in the door. It's just, Lord, have mercy. I was not good enough. Like, Lord, have mercy. And it's like, okay, you're in. That's what gets you in. Isn't that encouraging? I forget that a lot. Like, I forget that a lot and get caught up in this stuff. But that is how simple it is. It's just pure belief. Belief. That is what gets us in the door. And so this is kind of at a high level what we're talking about. And so why is this important to us? Why is eternal security important to us? Number one, we can look at basic things in our world like marriage and see that security is incredibly important to relationship. This is just from Gallup uh, in 2019, but you see uh, it's really small, but on the left is the yellow and then you see the green. So the green is married couples people who are married and the left is cohabitating couples. And you see that in these different areas, being faithful to them, acting in their best interest, always telling them the truth, married couples have a higher satisfaction 
in their relationship than cohabitating couples. And marriage is messed up in America. So, you know, the fact it still is better than cohabitation is like kind of crazy because like marriage is not great and we have a lot of things wrong. But even in America, you can see that eternal security is key to relationship. And I mean, how true is that, right? Like if Ali and I were hanging out and, and we're talking and we, you know, we got a great marriage and, and I said, so Ali, uh, if, you could, if you could help me out with the dishes today and I took out like a, a handgun and set it on the table and said, I just really appreciate if you would, if you would do the dishes, you know, I mean, you know, here's the handgun, you know, just please do the dishes right now. Well, I'd probably have a very bad marriage, right? Because there's no security. It's purely, I am forcing you to do something and here's the handgun, right? But a lot of us see our relationship with God that way, where it's like, hey, you could, you could please, please surrender this or please do this thing. And if you don't, here's the handgun right here. I'm going to, I'm going to have to mow you down if you don't do this, you know? And that's what Tab is talking about, this false vision of God, that God's not good. He's actually here to make our lives miserable. And a lot of people think that. So this eternal security, to get this really nailed down, you've got to understand this so you can have a relationship with God. And if you look at psychologists, or not psychologists, if you look at counselors like Neil T. Anderson, I mean, in their books, they talk about this is step one of any relationship with God, is understanding your assurance of salvation, because you can't move past it without that. Another important uh, thing about eternal security is it's key to growth. Um, I played football back in high school and I was always in the big guys group. I was, uh, only 185 pounds. So the big guys were more like 250 to 350, but I was in the big guys group because I was kind of in this weird middle ground and I felt really insecure. I didn't feel secure in that room because I was the smallest guy. And so, um, I would, I never really grew in like my lifts because I would put too much weight on the bar consistently because I felt insecure. And so I wasn't doing all the reps. And so if you lift weights, you know, that's not, that's not the way to do it. You gotta, you gotta fit within where you're at. And so I wasn't doing this because ultimately I didn't feel secure. And so I wasn't able to be honest with where I really was. And so I wasn't able to really grow to where I needed to be. And the same thing with our faith. If we're not locked down in the fact that like, I'm secure in Christ, my life is secure in Christ. I'm going to heaven one day with Jesus it's very hard to really grow and take those steps forward uh, because you don't have that lockdown. Um, so that's kind of another thing. And the last one is eternal security is key to impact. You know, if you're in danger of drowning, ultimately, and do not know uh, whether you shall ever receive the shore, or will you're at, you do not know whether you can get to the shore, you're not in any place to help someone else get to the shore. And so if you don't have this locked down, you must first get on the solid rock yourself, and then you can reach down and help people. Um, and there's an example, Lindsay and I, my little sister, were in Hawaii, and I was a, a big high school football player, and she was like little tiny. She was probably 10 years old, and we were at this beach, shipwreck, shipwreck beach, and these waves were just coming in, and they were crazy. And so she's up the beach like here. And then I'm like here and the waves are coming in and I'm getting knocked over and Lindsay's getting knocked over. But I was strong enough where when she got sucked in with the tide, I was able to pick her up and put her back up on the shore because I was strong enough, right? Eternal security is the same way. If you are not convinced that you're secure in Christ eternally, you have trouble impacting others. You have trouble impacting others for Christ because you don't have this basic thing locked down. 
So I've got a few points that we're going to go over. And the first one uh, with scripture we're going to jump into is our eternity is safe in Jesus' hands. And we're going to jump in uh, to John 6, 37 through 40. And this is what it says. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him. This is what Tad was talking about. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he's given me, I lose nothing. But raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who beholds the son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. I love that image that of all he's given me, I lose nothing. It's an amazing picture. It's, I mean, it reminds me of Matthew 18 when he leaves the 99 and goes out to the one, right? If that's the same God, those who have come to Christ, he says, I will lose nothing. And so we see that Jesus is very clear, like, no, that's not the goal is to lose people. I will pursue you. I will come after you. John 10 is the next one. He gives the analogy. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. And no one, once again, similar thing, will snatch them out of my hand. My father who's given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. John Wesley had a cool story. Uh, he, he wrote a sermon on this topic. And to kind of talk about this, how no one will snatch him out of the father's hand. He talked about this guy who was a coal miner. And the guy was really rough. He was a really, really rough guy, came to Christ, and his life was totally transformed. And he started impacting other people over two, three, four, five, six years. Well, in the sanctification process, ended up kind of hitting hard times and falling back and actually was twice as rough, Wesley says, than he ever was previous, which is how it generally happens. And so anyways, they're in the coal mine and there's this Christian who's, you know, loves the Lord next to him and they're mining coal, whatever that looks like. I've never done it. Uh, and, and, and the, the Christian talks to him and says, you know, I think the guy's name was, I don't know what it was, Rick. That's probably not a name from the, you know, back in the day, Rick. Hey, Rick. Um, but he's talking to him and he says, what happened to you? What happened to you? You were so like the Lord transformed your life so much. And there's all these people that you've impacted over the years and you've fallen back into this place and all the good stuff. It's like, what's happened all this. And the, and the Holy spirit really convicted him, this guy, Rick, whatever his name is. And he said, Lord have mercy on me. He's like, I I'm sorry. I made a mistake. I've done it wrong. And pretty much like, Decides like, okay, I'm going to resurrender my life. Like I'm back with the Lord. Yeah, I'm not rejecting him anymore. And literally in that moment, a piece of in the coal mine falls down, hits him on the head and kills him. True story, according to Wesley, which I trust him. But he gives that example. And I was like, that's crazy. It's no different than the man on the cross next to Jesus where even in this guy's rejection of God, this thing was going to happen. 
that was going to kill him. And the Lord met him and convicted him right at that moment. So he didn't lose him. And I just think that's, that's what God does. That's what God does. And I think in heaven, honestly, in heaven, I think there's going to be a lot of people that we had no idea that in their final moments or whatever it is, they surrendered to the Lord and said, I didn't know what was right. And nobody saw it, but they surrendered in those final moments. I don't know. I just think, I just, I just think that'll probably happen. Um, now, is that the best way to live your life? No, that's not what I'm saying. You shouldn't do that. But I just think that's how good God is, that in his grace, um, he will meet people even when they're next to Jesus on the cross and say, okay, right here, I'm leading you to the Lord. You know, that's just amazing. Before the coal hits him in the head, that's how good he is. First Peter 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance, which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away reserved in heaven for you who are protected. This is crazy. We're protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And so the way I think about this, is we have box seats. So we got box seats. We have inheritance. We're going to be with the Lord and we have God walking us up to the box seats. That's kind of how it works. And he's going to, he's going to guard us. The power of God is going to guard us through this life as we make it to heaven. And so we're with him. That's amazing. We're protected by the power of God. What other power is stronger than that? There isn't one. There isn't one. And so what we can see is that our eternity is truly safe in Jesus' hands, even in the crazy story from Wesley about the last moment before this guy dies from a freaking piece of coal hitting him on the head, you know, the Lord meets him. And so God, as Tad said, God wants us to be saved. He wants us to be in relationship with him for the rest of eternity, and he'll pull all the stops to try to make it happen. And the power of God is guarding us. The second point with uh, eternal security is we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, it says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who's given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. And so this is a fascinating Concept obviously sealed. You think of like old wax letters. We don't do this anymore, but it'd be cool if we probably started. Um, Probably Bill Snyder does this because he writes hand letters to everybody. But uh, but you you put the wax on there and you seal it, and it's like those are sealed letters, not to be opened. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's we are as a pledge. This is crazy as a pledge of our inheritance in the future. Ephesians 4 addresses the exact same concept, saying, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. And so that's another thing that, um, yeah, that, that, you, that you look for in your life and others' lives of, okay, are they saved? Why do, why do we have this assurance of salvation? And if we look at the scriptures, we see a couple different things. So I'm just going to bring out a couple. There's more than this. 
that the Holy Spirit does, right, in your life so you can know. The first thing that I love is like just conviction. The Holy Spirit comes to bring conviction on the world. And so that's one thing that I love to talk to people who are struggling with this is like, well, do you face any conviction about any, you know, thing? And it's like, okay, well, that's a good one, right? Like that's a good potential sign. Like the Holy Spirit is moving because you have conviction about the things you've done wrong. You feel like, oh, that was wrong. That was, that was incorrect. And another one, just the fruits of the spirit. That's what, that's what they say. It's like, okay, that's what God says. The fruits of the spirit are various different things, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, you know, all these different things. Do you, do you show these fruits of the spirit in your life? Not, are you perfect, Adam? Not, are you always all of the fruits of the spirit? But do you see those in your life? Those are two different signs that we can really look at um, and say, okay, yeah, I do have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is that seal that brings you into, into heaven of like, yeah, I, I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit. So that's kind of another, that's another key thing if you're, if you're kind of going through this eternal security stuff. So we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. It's the second one. And this is the other one. We're safe when we're imperfect. First Corinthians, who knows anything about the, who knows anything about the Corinthians? Yeah, they're pretty wild. Corinthian was used as like a, like a curse word almost. It's not good. They're not good. Divisions, which God hates probably more than about anything. Um, sexual immorality, lawsuits against each other. I mean, some weird speaking in tongue. I mean, there, there's a bunch of weird stuff going on in Corinth. And to this church that has so much wrong with it, that has so many issues, this is how Paul starts off the letter. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech, in all knowledge, just as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you're not lacking in any gift as you eagerly await the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. This church was a mess. And even in such a messy church, Paul says, Jesus Christ, who will confirm you to the end, blameless on the day of Christ Jesus. So if you're out there and, and you're struggling, this is, this is how it works, is we're struggling, we're trying to learn how to, how to you know, become more sanctified and really surrender more to the Lord, and we're struggling. It's like, that's not, uh, that it, don't let Satan throw that lie in of, yeah, you're probably not saved. You're probably not saved. That's how he cuts your cuts your ACL right there. Because then you're questioning how good God is. And then you have a lot of other issues. Even in the worst of the worst, the Corinthians, it's like, no, no, no. We can be assured that the Lord is working in our lives. Hebrews 7.25, therefore, he's able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. This is another great one. Jesus was the guarantee of a better covenant. The old covenant, which we had to do all these things for, was gone. And Jesus is the one who can save forever, who can truly draw us near to the Lord. John Wesley says on this, he says, because he is God and not man, therefore his compassions fail not. None then can infer 
that because an earthly king will not pardon one that rebels against him a second time, therefore the king of heaven will not. Yea, he will, not until seven times only, or until seventy times seven. Nay, were your rebellions multiplied as the stars of the heaven, were they more in number than the hairs of your head? Yet return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon you, and to our God, and he will abundantly pardon. This is a commonly held belief across all the greats is all we have to do is return to the Lord. It's not you're so bad that you can never come back. It's not that you're so bad that you've lost it. You just have to be with him. That's the thing. <laughs> just be with him. He's the thing that unlocks everything. He's what unlocks everything. In Romans 8, 31 through 30, well, I, actually, this is all the way through 39, but Romans 8, I mean, this is this is the best. This is the best. I mean, this is the one that everybody's got to, you know, you got to go into because it's so amazing. So what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? who will bring a charge against God's elect. God is the one who justifies. Who's the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it's written, for your sake, we're being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I'm convinced, this is how we should be. We should be convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And that's what, wherever you're at today, whether you have fallen back into stuff or whatever, and you're coming back, or you're just struggling and struggling to believe your salvation, it doesn't matter. Because the reason you're here to hear this message and to hear what Tad said, and to hear that God still loves you, he has been, been pursuing you this whole time. And all you need to do is just come back to him. And he has salvation for you. He has freedom for you. And that's the coolest thing about all this stuff is we can be assured in that he has the best for us. He will not let us be separated. Even if it's right before the end, he will keep pursuing us the whole entire time. And we are meant to know that we are saved. This is, a, this is, this is how it's supposed to be. We're supposed to have this assurance. First John 5 says, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. The church in First John was going through some major issues. They had people who were among them and then had left and given up Christ and um, had pretty much said, Jesus isn't the Son of God. They were stirring up hostility in the churches. I mean, it was they were in a rough place, the church in 1 John. And the elder writes these words in the first chapter, the first, or not the first chapter, the fifth chapter of the first book, he says, hey, out of all the things I could write to you, 
This is at the very end saying, I want you to know that you have eternal life because I'm sure you're confused. I'm sure people are trying to deceive you and all this different stuff that's going on. There's divisions. It's confusing. So you need to know you're saved. That's what you need to know. And you can keep moving forward. And so this is an essential message all through the scriptures. D.L. Moody said it this way, someone will ask, have all God's people assurance? No. I think a good many of God's dear people have no assurance, but it is the privilege of every child to God to have beyond a doubt a knowledge of his own salvation. This is what we get as children of God, that we're saved. We have assurance. And so what do we do based on this assurance that we have? We first need to make sure that we're confident in that assurance. Make sure we understand our eternal security because Satan at some point in your life, even if it's not right now, might throw in lies and try to get you off. Okay? So you've got to understand it. Then what we do is we set our minds on the things above. Um, so, you know, the, I've heard a quote one time. There's three ways to look. If you want to be wretched, look within. If you wish to be distracted, look around. But if you would have peace, look up. And so where do we set our eyes? We set our eyes on the things above. We set our eyes. I mean, literally, Jason and I were talking this last week. Um, every single morning, you know, setting your eyes on your identity in Christ, on, on the grace that God saved you and you're thankful for that, on the fact you're so thankful you have eternal security. I mean, every day, not, not some days, every day to get yourself to this point where you're just like, I'm so thankful. And when you do that, it just, all the other crap in your life just kind of gets thrown to the side. And you just, you just are so thankful for what God's done in your life. And so I challenge you guys, don't think, oh, I've been a Christian for two years. Yeah, I think I moved past the whole salvation thing. No, thank God for your salvation every single day because it gets you fired up and you're like, I didn't deserve this, but God gave it to me. That's amazing. And that's what, uh, that's what Mueller said every day. He said, your, your, your time with the Lord is meant to pretty much psych yourself up for the day. That, that's what your time with the Lord is, is like psych yourself out be like, I want to be devoted to the Lord today. So that's the purpose. Um, and so do that and let eternal security draw you into living a life focused on Christ. Is your life organized in a way that allows you to give everything to Christ, your finances, your time, all these different things. A lot of times we were talking about it in the leadership uh, meeting this morning, people are like, I don't know, a lot of churches can give like negative messages to try to encourage people to be more devoted. And it's like, no, what we need is to hear how good God is. And that draws us into surrender everything because he's so good. And it's like, why would I not give him everything? And so that's what this should do is draw you deeper into surrender, deeper into love, deeper into all the things we've been talking about. Um, and so meditate on these things, put them on your heart. Um, so anyways, that is eternal security. And it's something that we should all be assured in and be thanking God for. And um, we're safe in his arms and we're sealed by the Holy Spirit and he's got us and he wants us to know that. So I hope you guys are encouraged today. I'm going to pray for us and we'll uh, jump into communion. Yeah, Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and Lord, I just thank you. I just thank you that we can just be secured, that our, our uh, eternity is just secure with you. 
and that we don't, we don't have to we don't have to worry about it. We don't have to to question it all the time. We can be assured that we have eternity with you. And so why not use all the time we have on this earth to count for you and to do things that have value that is eternal, um, not on this earth. God, I just pray for everybody here, whichever whichever category they're in that we talked about at the beginning, whether they're struggling with it, confused about it in the future, um, or just they they feel good about it, but need to kind of meditate on it more and just be lead this to more encouragement. I just pray that you'd speak to each of us and that we would be a church that is confident in who we are and whose we are and and in our security. And so it just leads to that deeper level of surrender that that we always talk about. Um, and just draw us into giving everything for you. Uh, the stuff we get on this earth, it just does not ultimately matter. And so help us to give that up and to draw into that deeper surrender. So we love you and just thank you uh, for your word and for the guidance that you give for all these different things and, and the guidance on eternal security. So in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. Yeah.